Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. From KQED. From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, I'm Michael Krasny. Coronavirus hospitalizations are up in California as the state sees a 69% rise in new cases in the past two days. Coming up on Forum, we'll hear why and learn about the relationship between testing and the increase in case numbers and the expected consequences of relaxing physical distancing measures. As the economy opens up, as more people are out and about, wear a mask. But first, I'll talk about President Trump's handling of the virus surge and other recent political news with Robert Costa, national political reporter for The Washington Post and host of Washington Week on PBS. That's all next on Forum. Join us. Welcome to Forum. I'm Michael Krasny. Former National Security Advisor Michael Flynn, who twice pleaded guilty to lying to the FBI, had his case dismissed yesterday by a federal appeals court. The same day, Senate Democrats blocked debate on a Republican-proposed police reform bill, arguing it didn't go far enough in addressing racial inequality. This comes as the federal government struggles to contain the coronavirus and the 2020 election season intensifies, and we're joined now by Robert Costa national political reporter at the Washington Post and host of PBS's Washington Week about the latest national political news. And welcome, Robert Costa. Great to be with you. Great to have you with us. And I guess the place I'd like to begin with you is the presidency. And there was an article in the Washington Post with your name on it about this presidency being in peril. It seems like when the numbers of uh, coronavirus and the death rates and hospitalization rates continue to rise, so do Joe Biden's poll numbers. I was talking with some White House officials and, and the president's political advisors last night, and it's clear that this is a president who sees the poll numbers slipping nationally. He sees the poll numbers slipping in battleground states. But instead of trying to move toward the center, uh, my sources tell me he is moving to the right. He's moving to rally his own base. He believes by stoking his core voters in some of these states, that is his path to reelection. And it's a, a message of grievance, of stoking uh, racial unrest in this country, of not really having an overture to the center at all. It's also law and order, basically, isn't it? I mean, as statues continue to come down and as uh, protests sometimes get violent, uh, the sort of thing that's going on in Seattle with the kind of occupation, these things, I, I guess he feels, will help him get reelected. It is a law and order message. It is also an isolated message. You think today to Speaker Pelosi, I'm interviewing her later today, and she is introducing the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act that will have a House vote later Thursday, and that's an expansive policing reform bill. But President Trump has not leaned into the negotiations at all on Capitol Hill. It looks like it's pretty stalled in terms of getting any Republican support in the House. The Senate has had an acrimonious scene this week about moving forward in a bipartisan way, 
and it's the president out there on a limb, isolated, going to these rallies, going to Phoenix, Arizona. That's really the setting the pace for the campaign. Let's talk about the police bill, Robert. I mean, it was sort of dead on arrival in the Senate, uh, the Republican police bill, and it was going to presumably uh, allow for, well, the things that it didn't allow for was probably why it went down in defeat. Uh, didn't want to change immunity for police on lawsuits or new federal restrictions on the use of lethal force. Those things seem to doom it. Uh, and yet uh, the Democrats, uh, did they really have the numbers to get the kind of police bill that Nancy Pelosi is talking about through? At this point, it doesn't look likely. The thing that seems to have some bipartisan consensus is a national ban on chokeholds. And there was a thought early on when Kevin McCarthy from California, the minority leader, signaled he was open to that, that that could maybe be the area, along with a database of police misconduct or police killings at the least, that, that the parties could rally around. But you've seen Republicans start to move away from that idea of a ban on chokehold. Instead, they've gone with President Trump's suggestion of an executive order to give guidance on banning chokeholds rather than enforcing a ban on chokeholds. The Senate Republicans bill does not formally ban that kind of action by police officer. And what Democrats are looking for amid all of this racial turmoil, amid people nationwide saying black Americans have to stop being killed by police officers, that the federal government needs to have stringent new standards and laws in place to protect black Americans rather than just guidelines. And there seems to be no agreement based on my reporting on getting there. We were talking with Robert Costa, national political reporter for the Washington Post and host of Washington Week on PBS, which airs Fridays at 7.30 p.m. on KQED 9. There seemed to be uh, some shifting going on, though, politically. I'd like to get your reporting on that. There were, for example, three Democrats who fell out of line on the Republican proposed police legislation, Joe Mnuchin, uh, Manchin, excuse me, of West Virginia and Doug James of Alabama, Jones of Alabama, but also Angus King of Maine. But there was also, we were talking about H-1B visa the other day, and nine Republicans actually uh, were not on the same team as the GOP on that. So is there shifting going on here? It always seems to some extent like maybe some shifting is going to go on or things are going to be more protean and then never seems to really occur. Your thoughts? Well, those senators you mentioned are all moderates. They're independents. Uh, Angus King of Maine's an independent, but he caucuses with the Democrats. And Doug Jones of Alabama, he's a former prosecutor and a lawyer, but he's running in a tough race in a deep red state. And so he, for him to move to the Republican side, it's not a defection, really, but it's a sign of the stakes he faces in his reelection race. The, the problem for congressional leaders and especially congressional Democrats at this fragile moment nationally is that we're just months away from the election, and President Trump has made it clear he doesn't want to bring all the leaders together in the White House to, to cut up a deal and to, to come together on this issue. Instead, it's executive order, then back to the campaign trail. And that's the reality. And because that's the reality, Senate Democrats who are in tough races like Jones or moderate like Manchin, they're saying, we're, we're just going to at least try to do something. But Democrats like Senator Cory Booker and Speaker Pelosi are saying, hold up, this is a national reckoning. Let's not water this down. Let's really haggle this out. I think uh, our own senator here in California, Kamala Harris, talked about uh, the GOP police bill as being scraps. I talked to you about General Mike Flynn and the federal appears course essentially dismissing the charges against him, which uh, two counts of lying to the FBI. Uh, this was a two to one decision. It was a Trump appointee who wrote the decision. But wondering what this bodes, particularly when we think about uh, all of the action that seems to be taking place against uh, Attorney General Barr, who to some extent seemed to really be in the center of this, even though he said he was doing 
the righteous thing, uh, where, for example, Roger Stone was concerned. Um, he seems to be in the center of a kind of a whirlwind here, and one has to ask, where is it going? Your point about Barr is so important because at the end of the day, there's a lot of noise here, important noise to be sure. I don't mean to discount it. But you got Zelensky testifying, other Justice Department officials, former officials testifying on Capitol Hill this week. You have the Flynn case, as you outlined. And the big picture when you step back is a Justice Department uh, whose integrity is under siege. It's being scrutinized by Congress. Is this an independent Justice Department? Or is this a Justice Department with the Roger Stone case and other cases linked to President Trump working in a special way to either accommodate the president's wishes or work in his favor? And these were all looming questions and pressing questions on Capitol Hill this week. And it's forcing the Democrats' hand because they've already been through impeachment process with President Trump. But now in the hot summer months, just before an election, do they want to move on an impeachment against Attorney General Barr? And that is the open debate right now in Democratic ranks. Is it really worth it politically to do it, or do they just have a duty to do so? And at this moment, Jerry Nadler, the chairman of the Judiciary Committee, is certainly entertaining the idea and talking with Speaker Pelosi. Court of Appeals can actually take a second look at General Flynn, can't they? Uh, they can, uh, and this is not a, a, this story is not dead. The Flynn story never seems to end, and uh, the, once one judge makes a decision, another judge can make another decision. At the end of the day, he admitted to lying, uh, but the federal government and its methods have been questioned by the attorney general in his own investigation. So you have justice versus justice department uh, at this time. And getting back again to Attorney General Barr, I mean, he's supposed to testify in front of Congress in July. What can we expect on that score? Well, it's it's a little longer than most Democrats wanted. I was talking to a House Democrat this week. They, they wanted him this week, and they wanted to maybe even open up an impeachment inquiry into his work and from everything he's done, not just on the Stone case or the Flynn case, uh, but even walking across Lafayette Square with President Trump. And they wanted to have a full scope investigation. But at the end of the day, Barr has agreed to a general inquiry, a general testimony session with House Democrats. It is notable, though, that he's he's getting a little bit more of the spotlight on him from Congress. He has spoken to Senate Republicans before, but this will be the first time he has spoken uh, and testified before House Democrats. I'm surprised that he hasn't been grilled more on the conclusions that he made, which were sort of uh, a synopsis of the Mueller report, because uh, obstruction of justice was pretty much elided in that. And, and, and yeah. there's going to be scrutiny of that Durham report. John Durham, who's doing the investigation for Barr about the origins of the Russia investigation. I mean, talk about a political and legal bomb that's sitting out there, perhaps ready to explode in the coming weeks or months. Uh, you have the president who's been impeached for his efforts on Ukraine, uh, who has questions about Russian interference and his handling of that. Now that you're going to have the attorney general, who's already facing questions of independence and integrity, coming out with his own report on the origin of the Russia investigation. And no one really has a clear idea of where that's going, but it is clear that it is a real investigation. Christopher Ray, the FBI director, told Fox News this week that FBI agents have been pulled into the Durham investigation inside the Justice Department. So this is not some uh, small-scale operation. And what do you see as the impact of uh, John Bolton's book, particularly on the presidency now, if at all? I spoke to Bolton for half an hour this week for the Washington Post, and my big takeaway reading the book over the weekend, over 500 pages, is that it could pull some Republicans, not toward Biden, uh, but it could pull, give some, some Republicans some pause 
about President Trump's conduct. I know three and a half years in, it seems like everything is known about President Trump's behavior. And I'm not trying to say this is a game changer, but the detail in Bolton's book is unlike anything else I've seen in a literary sense during the Trump era, because as, as much as that title's right up ripped from Hamilton, uh, he, he was in the room as a principal, as the national security advisor, and he's detailing with dates and times <clears throat> and color that the president was soliciting campaign help from China. He, he wanted the Chinese to buy agriculture to help boost his reelection prospects. The president was cozying up to dictators all across the world in Bolton's eyes. And all of this is laid out there. And so if you're a Republican who has any question in a swing state about who President Trump really is, this book provides new detail, and that could give some voters pause. But who knows at this point, because President Trump's polling numbers with the base remain so strong. Well, the um, fact is that uh, there was all kinds of clear indications and still seem to be clear indications that uh, the Trump re-election campaign was going to use, uh, well, at least try to paint Biden as being very cozy with China and much too allied with China. But the the whole stuff in the Bolton book, I think about Xi Jinping and the president trying to enlist him for political purposes if it gets out there, uh, will maybe have some impact. Let's, in the meantime, uh, go to your calls. And in fact, you can join us now with Robert Costa. I invite you to do that if you have questions for him or if you'd like to simply join our conversation. The toll-free number is available to you. It's 866-733-6786. I'll repeat that, 866-733-6786, or get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum, or email us, forum at kqed.org. Here's a tweet from Noel who says, the administration wants us to ignore the rising COVID death toll. Since most people are unaffected, the administration is counting on Americans not caring. I hope Americans can rise above this cynical political calculus. It's an important point, I think. Robert Costa, you want to respond? At this point, it's hard to say. I mean, how do you see it? Well, I'm, I'm thinking of Trump is opening things up and saying things should be opened up. He's even encouraging uh, not testing not to continue and all those sorts of things. So it seems like it's a gamble. If if things move the way they have in New York with the plateau, or they get better, from his perspective, it can help his election. I assume that if they continue to surge. Uh, or help his re-election, if they continue to surge, just the opposite. At least that seems yeah, to be pretty apparent. Yeah. I was just so curious because uh, of your perspective because of California. I mean, you're looking at the numbers, not only in California, but in Texas. I mean, this is jarring. And to bring it to my reporting a little bit, Vice President Pence went to the Capitol Hill yesterday, met with Senate Republicans on Wednesday, and he said, quote, there are very encouraging signs, his quote, about where this is all going. And some Republicans walked out of that room and told their staffers and advisors that this White House, this vice president, this president are are essentially saying to the Republican senators and congressmen and women that you better stick with us and stick to this line, that it's reopening the economy, it's critical to our reelection chances. Yet it's not just a New York, California story. This is a red state story, Texas, Georgia, Florida seeing a spike. And this, when you talk to people like Larry Kudlow or the president's top economic advisors, there's no talk about pulling back or having another shutdown of the economy. It's full steam ahead. And the political consequences of that in walking away from the task force, uh, diminishing it in the public uh, eyes, at least in terms of how it's presented and how often they're speaking, it's an immense political risk, not just for the White House, but for the entire Republican Party, which is being told to join in and, and stay steady. 
Well, the Texas governor, for example, came out with some strong statements about necessity for masks and uh, social distancing, things along those lines. I mean, we're seeing kind of a turn in some ways, aren't we? We are, and Abbott is, Governor Abbott of Texas is as Republican, rock-ribbed conservative as they come, key supporter of President Trump. This is not someone who has been racing to shut down anything in Texas. If anything, he's been on the forefront like Asa Hutchinson and uh, Pete Ricketts of Nebraska, these other governors in that part of the country who have been working to keep their states open. But for Abbott to say he's in a crisis and it's a huge spike, uh, this is a, a major reckoning in the summer of 2020 because the economy has shown some gross, some green shoots in the last jobs report. Uh, but if these governors get spooked and they say, this is, we can't keep going, they may have to shut down their states and the entire argument from this White House could crumble apart. We're talking, if you just joined us, with Robert Constant, national political reporter for The Washington Post and host of Washington Week. And here's Janet from San Francisco. Janet, good morning. Thank you for taking my call. Uh, my question is, with all of the, about Attorney General William Barr, with all of his lies from this uh, misleading summary of the Mueller report to the um, trying to turn around uh, the Flynn and Stone intervening for President Trump um, in what seems like an illegal way. My question is, why isn't or why hasn't the uh, Washington, D.C. American Bar Association intervening to either review, investigate, uh, suspend or revoke William Barr's legal license? Robert Costa. Well, I can't speak for the Bar Association. It is a fair question. I mean, beyond Congress, where does the scrutiny extend? And uh, it's unusual for the Bar Association to weigh in, I, I believe, on the attorney general, but not outside the norm. It's a fair question. It's a good question. At this point, the House Democrats are the tip of the spear. You have Senate Republicans. They're not itching to have some kind of major investigation of Barr, but House Democrats are trying to make some inroads, but it's difficult because the negotiations between Congress and an attorney general, you just can't demand him to show up. You can try to subpoena him, but they're trying to avoid that kind of confrontation. So they've had him agree to testify. Uh, but uh, an impeachment process could be on the horizon for House Democrats and whether the Bar Association weighs in uh, to be determined. Again, our guest is Robert Costa. And we should talk about uh, the possibility of who's going to be a running mate for Joe Biden with you, Robert. I'm interested in... Uh, Getting your thoughts, particularly in light of the fact that I just read an article by Tim Alberta, who is chief political correspondent for Politico, and he was talking about uh, talking to a number of African-Americans in Gross Point, uh, in, which is part of Detroit, it was once a very exclusive, wealthy white area. Now there are some affluent African-Americans there. And a lot of these African-Americans were saying, why does it have to be an African-American woman? Why couldn't it be Cory Booker, for example? Um, and I was interested also in who would serve uh, if it is an African-American woman, which seems likely at this point, and the smart money is saying Senator Kamala Harris from California. But I was wondering about somebody like Val Demings, because wouldn't uh, Joe Biden get perhaps more out of Val Demings in terms of uh, possibly picking up electoral votes in Florida and her law enforcement background? It's always a, a roll of the dice in terms of how much a vice presidential pick really affects the map. Paul Ryan was picked by Romney in 12. It uh, doesn't really help Romney win Wisconsin at all. Uh, Johnson does help Kennedy in 60. We could go through the list. Back to Biden. 
Val Demings could certainly be helpful in that uh, that corridor they call the I-20 corridor, I believe, in Florida around Orlando. She's a former sheriff. But I would keep my eye on your state, California. Senator Harris, of course, uh, probably at the top of the list for most political insiders. But also Karen Bass of Los Angeles, the congresswoman. Yeah, she's been all, getting vetted, in fact, now, hasn't she? She's been be- getting vetted. And she, I, I take her very seriously. I've been talking to some Biden allies. I've reported a little bit about this. She's you know, former speaker of the California State House. She's being vetted. She's chair of the Congressional Black Caucus. She's a great speaker. She's uh, well-respected by her colleagues. She's someone to really keep an eye on uh, as well at this point. But it occurs to me that uh, California, and, it, and not to um, go to any foregone conclusions here, but probably is going to go for Biden anyway, isn't it? It is. And so the question is, who do you want temperamentally, politically with Biden on the ticket? Could Val Demings, as a House member from Florida, help carry Florida? Maybe. That's a lot to put on Val Demings to say that she could somehow carry Florida. Florida is a complicated red state in many parts of Florida. Uh, And even someone like Gretchen Whitmer, if she's picked from Michigan, the governor there, she could maybe help carry it. But it's hard to say. I mean, so many of these districts in Michigan, like Macomb, have been Obama, then Trump. It's hard to say how they're all going to play out in 2020. I, it, the importance of having a woman is key for Biden. He has made a pledge to have a woman on the ticket. And there is a, a clamor inside the Democratic Party to have a woman of color, uh, and in particular, a black woman. And you look at Karen Bass, who's the, the author of this George Floyd uh, Justice and Policing Act that was unveiled today. You have someone at the forefront of this national conversation on race. Senator Harris is uh, as well, no doubt about it. Uh, so some interesting choices for Biden uh, as he moves in that direction. There's an email from a listener named Jim. Uh, let's get your reaction, Robert Costa. Jim writes, Trump's strategy to retain power is not through normal means. He seems less interested in winning electoral support, more interested in using his base and creating a dramatic discord in our nation toward a chaotic endgame. This is not a normal agenda for a democratic nation. It seems very dark to me. And just to ba- build some reporting to that, there is a political strategy here. This is, it seems like chaos, I know, to some voters at times. But this White House and this Trump campaign 2020, they really believe that moving toward the center is not the path to have any path to reelection, that they got to get five to seven percent more turnout of conservative voters, white voters, traditional Republicans in these states like Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Florida, to make sure that he has that path to 270 electoral votes. And so as much as some people in the Republican Party are urging him to move more to the center, to calm down on the grievance, to calm down on the racially incendiary rhetoric, he's not going to do so. Uh, every official who's at the highest level tells me he's not going to pull back. Uh, yes, he talked about criminal justice reform in 2018 and 2019, but that was a different time. And, this, and he sees his poll numbers slipping, and he's trying to rebuild his base at this point as he sees his numbers dip into the 30s. Well, we've got seconds left here, but what do these numbers really reveal? There's, uh, particularly after the last presidential election, not a great deal of confidence often in the numbers or what they're revelatory of. They they reveal a a race at the moment that's a referendum on President Trump. The challenge for Trump is can he make it a choice with Vice President Biden? Well, Robert Costa, delighted to have you with us. I thank you for being with us, and I want to remind listeners that these topics will be taken up on the show Washington Week on PBS, which airs again Fridays 
7.30 p.m. right here on KQED on Channel 9. Good to have you with us. Thank you, Eugene. Thank you. And when we return, we're going to talk about these surging numbers, not uh, of Joe Biden, but surging numbers of uh, the COVID-19 virus. And not only here in California, but through many states in the nation. What does it all mean? Stay tuned. That's next. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country. We need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.